Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, why do Christians make a big deal about sex? Why are there so many rules? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and you are listening in for season five, where we've been starting off each month with a different young woman sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. And so this month, our first episode introduced Elizabeth. Liz and I had a great conversation about her personal experience growing up, going to church, how some of her beliefs have changed since starting college, and now how she's exploring what faith and relationship with God means to her. Liz shared some great questions about faith and culturally relevant topics. And so if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out that first episode with Liz and hear more of her story. We'll put a link in the show notes. You can find those at findingsomethingreal.com, along with other things like free resources and occasional blog posts very occasional, I'm afraid, how you can get more involved with this program and by supporting us through Patreon or advertising, ways to connect. All of that can be found over at findingsomethingreal.com. So I'm really excited because my notes here say that Liz couldn't be here today, but my notes are lying. Uh, She's here right now. Liz, thank you so much for being here. It's so good to see you. Yes, good to see you too. Thank you for having me. So I know we recorded that first episode months ago. Did you, are you done with school, your, your year of college here? Yes, I finished up about two weeks ago. So wow. it's summer time for me. Yep. Oh my goodness. So what are you going to do this summer? Um, I'm just kind of staying and working. And then I'm going to just um, visit family here and there. And I plan to vacation a little bit. Good. <laughs> so Liz, I'm super excited about our guest today. Uh, she's a popular speaker marriage blogger, and the author of eight books, including The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. She loves encouraging women in their relationships, both with God and with their husbands, children, and friends. Her passion is for marriage, and she she and her husband, Keith, speak together at marriage outreaches and at Family Life Canada marriage conferences. Sheila believes in authenticity and gives real solutions to the very real and messy problems women and couples can face. You can uh, usually find her in Belleville, Ontario, where she's constantly texting her two young adult daughters and knitting, preferably simultaneously. Uh, That's awesome. I'm excited to welcome Sheila Gregoire to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome, Sheila. 
Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> good, to be, good to get to know you a little bit. So would you tell us a little bit more about you and your ministry? Yeah, so I started blogging in 2008. Um, I had written a few small books. I wanted to grow my platform and everybody was mommy blogging, jumped on the bandwagon without really knowing what I was doing. Um, and I did parenting, housework, organizing, all the typical things mommy bloggers talked about. But the more I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. And so I kind of became like the Christian sex lady, which is weird. Like nobody grows up thinking, I want to be the Christian sex lady like that. If you did, that would be strange anyway. So I occupied this space and I, I wrote um, the good, first edition of the good girl's guide to great sex in 2012. I wrote 31 days to great sex. I created libido courses, all kinds of courses. And then in 2019, <laughs> um, my direction kind of shifted because I started doing some massive research surveys to see what was really holding people back from good sex and looking at what kind of teachings and what kind of um, messages about sex that we've been given really hurt people. And that's what I've been talking about for the last few years. Mm. What are some of those messages that we've been given to people that have been given to people that have created issues? Oh, there's so many. So um, the big thing we did was we surveyed 20,000 women for our book, The Great Sex Rescue. And we were looking specifically at if there's certain beliefs that if you believe them, they hurt either your marital satisfaction or your sexual satisfaction. So this was like a seriously in-depth study. We got up close and way too personal, but anyway. Um, and we identified four big ones, but I would say they could be summarized um, in this line from a really popular marriage book called love and respect, where the author says, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. And his need is for physical release. So the idea is that sex is for men, not women. And sex is just about men's physical release. And when we believe that at least all kinds of other beliefs that are really harmful and it really messes things up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Sheila, did you grow up in a Christian home? Tell us about your faith journey. I did. Um, I grew up a single mom. So my dad walked out when I was two, but always knew Jesus, always knew God, felt very close to him as a child, um, continued that into university. I'm my husband at a Christian group on campus when we were doing some drama teams. And um, yeah, so I've just, I think, I had a very lonely childhood in a lot of ways, but God was always there. Um, and I, I really, I, I've been one of those people that can, I've always been able to feel him when I walk and I'm outside and I just, you know, you feel him smiling at you and that's always been precious to me. Did you ever have a season where you weren't sure about him or his existence or a place where you really struggled with your faith? I think more in the last few years. Yes. Um, just because as we've gotten more into this work and we've seen how badly um, sex has been talked about and how much harm and hurt has been caused, often in the name of Christ, I've found that very difficult. And it's, it's how to distinguish what is really Jesus from what people who say they believe in Jesus have done. And I'm sure you encounter a lot of people who are, who are hurting because of that messaging as well, right? People mm -hmm. who are dealing with uh, church hurt. I think that's the 
Yep. Every day, at least 20 direct messages, at least. And they're all really long and they're all heartbreaking, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So tell us uh, what your ministry looks like today. Do you go around and you uh, you share? Do you still blog? Uh, you're speaking, I know. You're writing books. What, what does it mm-hmm. look like? And how can people find out more about it if uh, they're listening to you for the first time? Well, during COVID, we kind of stopped speaking. We started writing. So we've written a lot of books in the last couple of years. Um, so Great Sex Rescue is our big one. And then I rewrote The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and um, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex with my husband. And then we have a mother-daughter book coming out next year called She Deserves Better. Um, so those are the four books that we wrote during COVID. <laughs> and then and then hopefully speaking will we'll pick up again next year because my husband and I spend a lot of time on the road in our RV. Um, so we're hoping to start again. Uh, but yes, I do blog every day at uh, bearmarriage.com and we have the Bear Marriage podcast. Um, and so we're quite active there and on social media. So most of your ministry, if I'm correct, tell me if I'm wrong, uh, is geared towards married women. Is that, would that be fair to say or no? I think so. (laughs) But the funny thing is how many single women are reading me. Um, And increasingly, I'm getting single women saying that they need they need me to do something for single women. So I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking (laughs) some conferences next year in the fall online conferences. But um, I think what's different about what I do is that it's not just about advice. It really is about teaching and looking at the evidence and the data of, of what works and what doesn't. And single people need to know that too, (laughs) about how the messages they've been given have been, have been really off base. Yeah. Um, I want to give Liz a chance to jump in here in just a second, but I have one, one question that I hope will kind of open, uh, some conversation here. I know you have two young adult daughters, uh, Rebecca and Kate, Uh, Katie, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Rebecca Mm -hmm. and Katie. Uh, they both married pretty young, it seems, uh, just by doing some research. Um, mm-hmm. How did you talk to them about sex before they got married? Um, well, we joke that I did a really bad job telling them about puberty and sex. So when Katie was 20 and Becca was 22, they actually created a puberty sex course for me so that moms and, da- and could talk about it with their daughters and dads with their sons. We hired some men to do the, the guy's side. Um, so I didn't do a great job when they were like, 11, 12, but as they got older and as I started talking about this more, I don't know that it was ever a talk. It, we, it was just a constant conversation we had. Um, and I think the biggest thing was we just had a good enough relationship that they could come to me with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we, we've just always been very open and I don't know that there's, I can't, I, I, it's hard to give one specific piece of advice, except when you have the kind of relationship where they can talk to you, then they will, mm-hmm. but you have to listen to them. You can't just teach at them. You have to listen to them too. Yeah. Did they or their friends ever come to you and say, why are the, there are all these rules around sex in the Bible or why do Christians not like, why, why is premarital sex such a big deal? Um, not really. Um, I think they always knew that what they were more worried about was how um often it was very legalistic so it was like you can't do this or you can't do this and if you do do this then it means you're a bad person or that you're and and um there was just so many shame filled messages instead of instead of positive messages and that's what bothered them more so it wasn't it wasn't the biblical ethic it was more the messaging around it Mm. Well, we're going to find out whether it's the biblical ethic or the messaging or maybe both uh, here. Liz, do you want to 
share any thoughts that you have with Sheila about what she just shared and, and any questions that you want to ask her, because it seems like she might know a little bit about sex and uh, the biblical ethic. <laughs> yeah, um, I it really like resonated with me when you talked about like your relationship with your daughters and how they would come to you and talk to you about so many things. So I feel like I grew up like with a lot of that um, mystery and I didn't really know. Um, I didn't really have a guide. I never got that talk growing up. And so for me, um, sex had a big stamp of shame on it um, mm-hmm. along with just like, what is it like? Um, I, I really knew nothing about the topic and I had to find my way on my own, um, which led to a lot of doubt and wrestling with my faith. Um, I found it really hard to consider both God and sex and how they can um, kind of coexist. Um, Cause I grew up in a world where they were both very separate things and God was the way and sex was um, inexcusable, um, unforgivable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really common is that that idea that God and sex don't go together. And you know what I think it is, is is that we even in the church, we talk about sex in very pornified ways. Like it's a, you know, sex is very objectified. It's, it's something that is just base. It's just about getting your needs met. Um, And when we talk about it that way, we're missing the whole picture. And what's really cool is when you think about intimacy and passion, because that's what sex is. It's just intimacy and passion. And we can have intimacy and passion in a whole variety of ways, not just sex. God just made sex so that it's the physical expression of it. But um, like God made us to be truly intimate. There's this really funny verse, Genesis four, verse one. I remember reading this when I was a junior high, the pastor opened up his King James Bible and he read, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and they conceived him. And I'm sitting there with all my 13 year old friends and we're all giggling and the pew is like rocking. And my mother's giving me the look, you know, and, and it's very awkward. Um, and so I thought that was hilarious. Like God knew, or Adam knew his wife, like, like God was embarrassed of using the real word. <laughs> but, but when you look at the Hebrew root, there's something really cool there, which is the root for to know is the same root where in the Psalms, where um, David says, search me and know me, O God, know my inmost heart. And it's this longing to be known in every way, to be totally connected. And I think God used that word to tell us that sex isn't just physical. It really is this deep knowing. And that makes it something which is beautiful. Like two people, you're going to be completely vulnerable with one another, you know, and, and naked, nakedness is a symbol of that, (laughs) but it's not the only part of it because you're not just physically naked. You're also emotionally naked. You know, they know everything about you and they still accept you and want you and want to experience something really cool with you. That is this deep knowing because it's something that you don't do with anyone else and you feel things you don't feel with anyone, anyone else. And I think when we see it that way, that it is this culmination of intimacy and vulnerability, it makes more sense. (laughs) You know, it isn't something shameful. It's just something which is really special, but everybody has needs for intimacy, not just married people. Um, and we all have needs for passion and to live life big, you know, not just married people. And I think, um, understanding that, that, that single people do have sexuality too, it just is, is, is expressed in a different way. 
You know, it's like, yeah, you still need close friendships. You still need to be passionate about something. You still need to throw yourself into stuff, you know, and, 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 um, and just understanding what it means to be truly and fully alive. Well, real quick, uh, I was just thinking as I'm sitting here, there's a major cultural difference, right, between the biblical worldview and the secular one. And Liz, uh, now that you've been through, uh, you know, some college and been in a sorority uh, and been like, you know, wrestling with some of these things yourself, um, I imagine you know what Tinder is uh, at this point. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes, I do. Would you share like what you've observed as far as the worldview around you uh, related to sex. And then I'd love to hear uh, the biblical worldview uh, from Sheila here. Yeah. Um, so the biggest thing that I have witnessed as a college student is how big hookup culture is. Um, and it's, it's, hookup culture is a very enveloping um, thing on a college campus and it's taken very lightly. Um, sex is just, the normal for college students. Um, You can walk through like the campus union and hear a conversation about some girls hook up and it's all taken very lightly um, and thrown around like it's nothing. Um, It's very interesting to watch how lightly people can take it. Um, And it's um, used as less of like an intimate beautiful like connection and more of a way to spend your Friday night um so yeah it's definitely confused me a little bit to watch hookup culture and um I guess I'm my biggest question is like how is I don't know how to word this right but like how is hookup culture um seen by God you know like my biggest question is just like how does God feel about it? And I know that that's a question that can't be answered, um, but how Christianity and hookup culture intertwine, that can be. And I just am kind of curious about that. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a big commonality between what I would call purity culture in Christianity, which is um, some of the shame-based messages around sex and hookup culture. And the commonality is this, in both cases, you're not supposed to feel. So in hookup culture, it's really important when you have sex that you don't feel anything (laughs) because if you feel something, you could get hurt. So it's supposed to only be about your body. It's not supposed to be about emotions at all. And in fact, you're supposed to turn off your emotions, which is why alcohol is such a huge part of hookup culture, right? Like often you need to get drunk in order to have sex so that you don't feel and feeling is almost cheating. Like you're not supposed to, if you feel, then you're doing it wrong. So, so this is only supposed to be about um, about our bodies and about getting chasing pleasure or whatever. Um, and there's been a similar, uh, messaging, unfortunately in some Christian circles where it's like, you're supposed to turn off everything to do with sex. It's, it's shameful. You're not supposed to think about it, whatever. Um, and even, even, um, some of the messaging that's been given to women about how sex isn't for you. It's like, you don't feel. And I think what God wants us to know is that, no, you're allowed to feel like this is supposed to be something where you feel deeply, you know, deeply. And that's why it's supposed to be with one person that you're committed with. Because if you were honestly to let yourself feel emotionally and hook up culture, you would just get devastated. You would become emotionally devastated. And that's why you can't feel 
Um, and so what you're actually doing, you're making something which is supposed to be really beautiful, really, really shallow. Um, and you're robbing it of its great potential. And I think that's kind of how God, it's kind of like, you know, um, an illiterate tribe comes along a first finds a first edition of, you know, Charles Dickens or something. And instead of realizing what they have, they use it for toilet paper, right? Like I kind of feel like that's what's happened is we've so degraded and devalued sex that we've, we've missed out on the ability to feel. Um, and what God wants for us is, is, is to really embrace sex in all three ways, you know, physically, yes, definitely, but also spiritually and emotionally. And that's, what's often missing out. So what advice, Sheila, do you give to young women who aren't ready to be married yet, but have all this passion and, uh, you know, hormones and desire building up in them? Um, how, how do you avoid, uh, you know, the culture of the nineties in the church, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the purity culture, but still talk about, uh, God's plan for sex. I think just realize you're a sexual being, you're going to have feelings and that's not a sin. Like it's not a sin to have sexual feelings. Um, it is not a sin to be attracted to someone. These things are not sins. Um, now you can, there's certain behaviors that you can do that can just make the single life much more difficult and can really take you off course. And so you don't want to, you don't want to fuel things that you can't have right now, but, but realizing that, yeah, like I, I am wired to want to be passionate. I am wired to want connection. And so if I can't have that in marriage right now, then where can I have it? Like, can I, can I throw myself into some volunteer activity that I'm really passionate about, you know, whether it's fostering animals from the humane society or, you know, volunteering at a boys and girls club after school or whatever it might be. Can I throw myself into something so that I feel alive? Um, you know, can I make sure that I'm developing important relationships, you know, friendships, mentorships, whatever, so that I feel connected to other people. Um, just recognizing that these are base needs that we have for passion and for connection, but they don't all need to be met in sex. And so if you're really struggling sexually, the worst thing you can do is just stay at home and watch Netflix. (laughs) And the best thing you can do is throw yourself into life, you know, and find something to be passionate about. What are your thoughts on that, Liz? I really like that. Um, finding the passion for life. I find that to be, um, inspiring in a sense like um I've thrown myself head first into college life like I volunteered at the animal shelter for a while and I, ha, I said to so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I used to walk dogs at the animal shelter and it was uh fantastic like it just brought me so much joy and so I found little pieces of myself in that which I found very cool it also kind of leads me to the question like for those who have had premarital sex how can they reroute their lives to one that is more centered on the idea of waiting till marriage, even though they have already given that part of themselves up, yeah. you know? I think we need question. to stop thinking about it as you gave up part of yourself. Hmm. Um, that's just not, that's not a particularly healthy, evidence-based, even biblical way of looking at it. You know, uh, if you think about how many people in the, in, in the gospels, if you read the gospel, so many people came to Jesus who had pasts and 
he didn't then say to them, okay, well, you need to realize you've given up part of yourself to someone else. And we now need to heal you from that. And you're going to have it. He never said any of that. Paul never said any of that. What Paul said is, is if anyone is in Christ, she is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Um, and so I think some of this messaging about how, uh, we've equated virginity with purity and I know an awful lot of virgins who aren't pure, <laughs> you know, because their thought life's not pure. They're using porn all the time or they're skirting. Life. And I know a lot of people who are not virgins who are pure and people who are married can be pure. Like sex is not the determinant of whether or not you're pure, because when we make it into the determinant, then we make sex sound like something bad. The determinant, like our purity is not based on what we do with our bodies. Our purity is based on what Jesus did with his. And, and when we get a sense of that, then our past is our past, <laughs> but we have this whole new future now. And every day you get to decide again, what am I going to do to walk with Jesus today? It's not like what you did two years ago determines your walk forevermore. It's I get to decide again today. And, and that's the point of the gospels. And I think we've, by, by equating virginity with some, a precious gift. First of all, that's such a terrible message to give to sexual assault survivors. Um, you, you know, cause they can't do anything about that. And we need to get away from that. And we need to instead think about God's wisdom and protection, right? Like the reason that God wants us to be for marriage is because it's what's best for us. When we do that, we're honoring him. We're honoring ourselves. We're honoring the people that we're with. Yeah, because you always want to treat other people with dignity as whole people made in the image of God. And, you know, when you have sex, when you're not in that committed relationship, then it's like, um, it's like you're promising something that you can't give. And, um, and, and that can actually cause a lot of emotional pain in other people. You don't want to do that to someone else. <laughs> and so we want to follow God because he wants our best and he wants to protect us. Um, but that is a new decision that everybody can make every day. And we can also say that the research that I've done does not show that if you've had like a lot of sexual partners, you've doomed your marriage, you've doomed any future marriage. You really haven't. It's not that it's not about what you did in the past. It's about what you're doing now and who you're following now. Well, I just want to jump in here. I remember being single and one of my friends, she was like, the Bible actually does not prohibit premarital sex uh, uh, specifically. And I was like, yeah, it does. And then I got lazy and I never researched it myself. Um, I think I'm pretty confident in what the Bible does say now, but I would love, Sheila, for you to say, what does the Bible actually say about premarital sex? Um, and if for somebody listening who's like, awesome. Um, I think maybe down the road, I might follow Jesus. But right now, sex is meeting a need for me. Mm -hmm. uh, hookup culture is kind of great, because uh, I can get what I need or feel like I'm getting what I need. Uh, what advice would you give to that person? Yeah, I mean, um, when you look at what the, the Bible presents sex as something which is for Def, which is for marriage. It's, it's supposed to be something which, like I said, is intimate <laughs> um, in Genesis four, it's supposed to be pleasurable for both, not just for guys. Um, we see that in song of Solomon. It's supposed to be something totally mutual. 
um, between a husband and a wife. And, you know, one of the things with hookup culture, especially for women is you do make yourself really vulnerable and you do, you do put yourself in a situation where other people can really use you. And that's just not what the best thing is for you at all. Um, as for what the Bible says about premarital sex, there's a lot, you know, there's, there's, there's Hebrew words and Greek words for sexual immorality. And then there's the question of what did God mean by that? And there is a lot of debate there. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I think God intended to save sex for marriage. Then there's the bigger question of, well, what is marriage? Because what we think of marriage today isn't necessarily what they thought of back then. Um, so instead of getting into all those discussions, I kind of just focus on, look, what does evidence tell us is the best? You know, what is the wisest thing to do? Because I think God points us to what is wise. That's what God wants for us is what is wise and what is, what is um, protective. And it's just really protective, <laughs> you know, to, to save something or to, or to keep some up, uh, to keep this part of your life for someone um, that, you know, that you've committed to and that has committed to you too. So that you can be safe. You know, one of the things about women's sexual response, and a lot of people don't understand this, is um, we don't feel pleasure as automatically as men do, physical pleasure. Women just, women don't in general. Um, and the women who tend to have the best sex are those who are in committed relationships because you're able to tell them what you like. Like hookup culture often does not end up with women having very pleasurable sex. It's just, it just ends with often someone using you. And that's not always the, the, well, it really isn't the healthiest thing. And even if you are having pleasurable sex, um, which again would be a minority in hookup culture, you need to ask like, is, do I feel good afterwards? And if you don't ask yourself, why, you know, like, what is it? Why do I feel empty afterwards? Um, and I think it's because deep inside, we know we were created for more and this was created for more. It isn't just a physical thing. Liz, what are your thoughts on what she just shared? That was like, yeah, I, I thought that was really cool because as you were kind of discussing how um, hookup culture doesn't end up with like pleasurable experiences for women, it makes me think of all the stories that my friends have told me. And it's, it's very true. Um, And I found that it's much more easy to be intimate with somebody that I have been in like a long-term relationship with. Um, So that rang really true for me. Because I I dated someone for about five months and we were never, um, we were never intimate. We only really kissed, but because we had been together for a longer time, I found it easier to um, be around him and trust him and be completely emotionally vulnerable, um, Mm -hmm. which is important. So I found that to be very, um, very true for what I have experienced. Yeah. Sheila, this podcast is uh, for young women who aren't necessarily sure about faith or who are maybe going through some struggles. I imagine there might be somebody listening right now who either is not familiar with the gospel or who is not sure that it's for her. Um, So I'm wondering if you would share the correlation, the connection between the gospel and God's design for sex. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it really does come back to intimacy. You think about this, you may not realize this, but in scripture, God often uses sexual imagery to talk about his relationship with us. 
like he talks about how in heaven there's a big wedding banquet and Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride and there's a consummation and um he often uses very sexual imagery to talk about how he wants to he just wants to know us so deeply and God created people with this deep need for connection and so much of the well pretty much all of the troubles in the world are caused by people not understanding that need or by not having those needs met for connection and choosing instead to forego connection. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to be deeply committed and deeply connected to each other, living in community. Um, God himself exists in community. You know, that the, there's this three-part God, you know, and relationship matters. Um, and so that ability to be totally intimate with someone is God's aim um, for how he wants to be with us. And when he created sex, I think he created it as a mirror so that we could understand better how much God wants to know us. Like, and I'm going to get really crass here. Okay. For a minute. But even if you think about orgasm, it's like this moment when you lose control. Okay. When you're not totally in control anymore, the height of passion, you just feel, and that's kind of what God wants in his relationship with us. It's not about us always needing to be in control. <laughs> it's not about us having this totally orderly life. It's about how he wants to be in such deep, intimate relationship with us that we're able just to live in joy and passion with him and let him be the one who's leading us, you know, and, and we're able to trust him enough that we can let go. Um, and, and I think that's why God made sense the way he did so that we could understand that and see that that is what he wants for us too. And unfortunately, a lot of us can't experience that or don't experience that, um, because we just haven't understood our need for it or how, Jesus gave everything so that we could have that passionate relationship with God, where we don't feel alone, where we do feel deeply connected, where we do feel like there's a purpose in life, where we do feel like I'm not alone. Um, and that's just what I, I want people to understand. And I want people to experience because life is so much better <laughs> when you feel like, yes, I'm not alone. And someone knows me inside and out and still accepts me. Sheila, you've talked around this a little bit, but I'd love for you to speak directly to it. Um, obviously, you know, there's God's word, and then there's also our culture, and culture is shifting quite a bit um, in terms of sex. Uh, the church um, sometimes responds well to that and sometimes uh, responds poorly. What would you like to see the church, uh, the conversation from the church regarding sex become or um, include more of as we enter into more and more of a um, Tinder and hookup culture all around us? I think the church has bought in to a very pornified style of relating. So um, the idea that all men will struggle with lust, for instance. And so women need to cover up to stop men from lusting. Um, that's a message that's very heavily given. And it puts the responsibility for a men's thought life and men's sin on women. And it causes so much shame um, and a whole host of other problems that we've measured in our surveys. 
Um, but this idea that women are seen either as two things, either we're threats to men because we cause them to sin or to lust or whatever, or once we're married, we become the sexual outlet for them so that they don't sin. So we have enough sex so that we satiate them. Both of those things root or they, they say that male sexuality and the objectification of women are one and the same thing. And they're not. God created men to need connection just as he created women to need connection. God created men to need intimacy just as much as he created women to need intimacy. And sex is not just an outlet for men's lusts. And God did not create men to be lust monsters. <laughs> Um, and I think the way that the, that the church has too often talked about sex makes women feel very unsafe. Um, and I think the biggest change that I would make is to understand that, that, that sex is created for both men and women and that lust is not women's fault. It is men's fault and women need to be valued because we haven't been valued enough. Well, this is a very practical question following up on that. But what do you say to the woman listening who's maybe listening because her, her, I don't know, young adult daughter uh, is not walking with the Lord and she's on here listening to this conversation and uh, she sees her daughter wearing a crop top and a low cut shirt and she's got a teenage son or a friend who's got a teenage son and the friend comes to her and says, my son is uncomfortable, like he's seeing this. And mm -hmm. how do you deal with situations like that? Because those are real situations that happen every day. And, and as a mom of four, myself, two boys, two girls, I feel some of that tension of mm -hmm. uh, they're getting older. And how do you advise people to have that conversation around what you wear? Because we like, oh my gosh, I don't want my, my sons to, to stumble either. And I don't want my daughters to feel shame, but there's a dance there. How do you address that? Okay. Well, let me tell you a story. There, there was a Facebook post that went viral a couple of years ago by a woman who said she, so she, she was in church with her two teenage boys. And then this woman walked into church with her teenage daughters who were wearing leggings to church, sat directly in front of them. And she realizes that she's like, this is, going to be a distraction to my boys all through the service. So she got her sons up and they moved pews. So they were sitting in front of the girls and she was very proud of herself because, you know, now I've protected my sons from stumbling. What has she just taught her teenage, bo teenage boys? She has just taught them. You are incapable of focusing on God when there are girls dressed like that in front of you, you're incapable of treating women as whole people made in the image of God. When you see a woman's form, you're automatically going to lust. You know, even if every woman in church dressed in a burqa, people in the rest of culture wouldn't. And our job as moms is to tell, is to teach our boys how to respect women, no matter what they're wearing. Cause you may want women to wear something different and you may feel badly for your sons, but your sons are always going to see women who are not dressed the way you want them to. And so our job is to teach our boys how to respect women, no matter what, cause Jesus did. Mm -hmm. And that's vitally important. Um, as for girls, I think the messaging changes depending on the age. Like obviously when they're in high school or younger, you can kind of control it. You know, <laughs> you can say, look, I just want to make, sure that when you go out, you know, your clothing tells people, this is what, this is the first thing I want you to think. And it, what is the message that your clothing is given? 
giving. And this is important, by the way, for boys too. This is a conversation we need to have with both boys and girls. Um, you know, one day you're going to go to a job interview. Like one day, like, like uh, my, my kids would often say when they were in university classes, some kids would come in flannel pajama bottoms. And some kids would come and they would be dressed, you know, not like dressed up, but like in proper fitting jeans and a proper fitting top, you know, both guys and girls. And the professors, you know, knew which kids were serious and which kids weren't based on what they were wearing. And the professors were going to have to write, you know, if you wanted to go further in your career, you were going to need recommendation letters from professors. And so you're giving an impression by what you're wearing. And so it's an important, it's an important conversation for both boys and girls. So what is the impression that you're giving? Like, what's the first thing you want people to think of? Um, And, you know, we can, we can talk to our kids about this. I just wouldn't talk to it in terms of you're causing someone to stumble because that has been shown to cause so much harm and shame to girls Mm long-term. When we tell girls, you can be a stumbling block, like your body is the problem. Then um, in the long term, that lowers their libido once they're married. It lowers self-esteem. Um, it causes them to be more likely to marry an abusive man. Um, just all kinds of really, really negative things. So we can have these conversations, but we can't pair them with you're causing someone to sin. That's very wise uh, advice there. Thank you for that. That's helpful for me. <laughs> <laughs> Liz, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up with a couple of final questions? Um, no, I think I've got all my questions answered. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've really, really enjoyed all of your answers. They've been fantastic. Good. <laughs> yeah. So Sheila, uh, the Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love, all things that as a Christian, um, we believe that can be found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Um Finding something real, real is an acronym for restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Of those four gifts, and obviously there's many others, but of those four things, which stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? I think it's just authenticity. I think that's what people are missing. Um, I think people are looking for a faith that is, that, that is honest, you know, honest about doubts, honest about um, when people have let us down, honest about how, yeah, sometimes I, I have these issues that I'm not getting over, even though I want to get over them, but life with Jesus is still something which I'm going to hold on to for dear life because it's, what's giving me, it's, what's giving me purpose and it's, what's giving me an anchor. Um, it's not like life is perfect once you become a Christian, but it's like you're not doing it alone anymore and you know that someone really loves you and you don't have to perform like a performing monkey for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that's what, that's what people need. Yeah. And for the young woman listening who is in that category of, I'm just not sure. Um, do you have any resources that you could point her to or any books that you, w- you would recommend that do talk about this subject from her vantage point? Well, mm-hmm. Well, I think if you've been, if you've been really hurt by a lot of messaging around sex, I highly recommend getting the great sex rescue because I think you'll feel very validated and very seen. And you'll see that God never intended to sexualize or to objectify women. (laughs) That was not 
the intention. That is what our society has done, even within the church. But God's doing a mighty work trying to clean that up right now. <laughs> and, and I think that's what's going to happen in the next few years. So if you've just felt dirty or used or um, like things haven't been fair, I think the Great Sex Rescue is a great place to start. That's awesome. Well, Sheila Gregoire and Liz, thank you both so much for being here. I am so grateful to know more about your ministry, Sheila. It sounds like you know what you're talking about, (laughs) which is good. (laughs) And Liz, thank you for being here and being vulnerable about where you're at. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.